Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodrigue, and with me this week, my fabulous guest co-host, Stu Jackson of therams.com. Stu, how we doing? Well, this is the, uh, the second time in however many weeks that I've been on this podcast when it's been anything but a normal week, so I think I'm doing good. I mean, that's not to say that I don't enjoy making these appearances, but like, it's just we, the the timing has always seemed to work out impeccably well where there's just some major development happening with the Rams as far as like something newsworthy and whatnot. So but I suppose that's a good thing because it gives us a lot to talk about, too. Yeah, your, your um appearance analytics are really strong, veering toward chaos there, Stu. I think it's funny because um every time you are scheduled it's like uh you know some some tra- like transaction there's been a weird game there's been this week this last week um obviously a, a very should have won loss situation full of oddities with the the calls and the decision making on the Rams side of the offense and a implosion by the defense and oh yeah by the way the kicker situation and um but I can always count on you. It's like, okay, so look on the calendar when the when Stu's on the calendar because the game right before it's probably going to be weird as hell. So <laughs> it's uh, it's good stuff, and we appreciate having you, Stu. There's a lot to get to this week, so we're just going to dive right in. Um, thank you, guys. We're recording this on Thursday morning. Um, thank you, guys, for tuning in with us today and through the weekend. Hopefully, this helps ease your commute. Um, but the big news this week is, well... There's some big personal news for the McVeigh family this week. Congratulations to Sean McVeigh and Veronica McVeigh um, and the entire McVeigh family, the McVeigh, on the arrival of their son, Jordan John. Um, Really, really special. Um, Sean was right. He was not going to come during a game. (laughs) And uh, so we're already one for one in terms of uh, this this kid knows ball. So, (laughs) Well, and I think my favorite thing, too, is... um is McVeigh referring to his wife as a stud once again? Oh yeah. You know, as She's far as how she handled it, which is like, you, you said it perfectly. Like if, you know, if you've, if you watched even just a handful of, you know, Sean's press conferences, you know, that that's, as you, as you said, or posted on uh, X or Twitter or whatever, a while back, like that's the highest compliment you can obviously get in McVeigh speak. And so uh, we obviously know that he, that it's only the highest of praise or he means very, very well by that. I know I was I was laughing because I was like um, thinking about Veronica, who's like one of the coolest people ever. And right. I was I was like, she is a stud. Yeah, <laughs> like, it was. I was like, that's perfect, actually. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but we're just around it all, all the time. So we know how high of a compliment what that means. I love that the team, the creative team over at the Rams announced it as a transaction <laughs> on on social media. That was a really nice Nice and thoughtful touch, but congrats to the McVeigh family, the McVeigh, uh, the, the, 
the family is growing and um, that's just really cool. I, I imagine at some point Sean will hit a wall this week. Um, I've, you know, not, I don't have any personal experience with this, nor do you, I don't think Stu, but I, (laughs) unless I missed something significant along the way of our friendship here, but, um, but it's, it's, um, it's a cool thing. It's a special thing. You could see how emotional he got. Um, and you know, I had to get a little joke in there when, and he, to his credit, I think he thought I, I think he got the joke, but then was worried maybe I wasn't ask maybe I wasn't making a joke because I kept a straight face. But basically we were we we were done talking about in our in his press conference, we were asking questions about fatherhood and, and what it was like and, and all of that. And and then I with a straight face, I was like, so you're bringing in kickers all week. How's his leg? And so you could see he laughed for a second and then was like, oh, wait, maybe this isn't a joke. Yeah. <laughs> and she's asking about the new kicker. <laughs> and you could see him flip immediately into serious coach mode, um, which was hilarious. Um, go back and watch that press conference at therams.com when you get a moment. It was it's good stuff. It it, it really is the range of emotion there uh, throughout the course of there's exhaustion, there's seriousness, there's there's joy. Uh, he he gets emotional um, talking about um, you know the, the the baby's namesake, his grandfather John McVeigh. Um, who he lost last year, unfortunately. Um, it, it's good stuff, but but that sort of segues us into the kicker stuff. Longtime listeners of Eleven Personnel know that we've covered this in depth for years. We are special teams enthusiasts on this podcast. Um, my, one of my first uh, mistakes that became a really fun inside joke on this show was the phrase always be talking about kickers or abtac because i said in one of my many early very inexperienced podcast rambles with a very patient rich hammond it's like that saying always be closing except it's a b t a k Abtac, and then from there, this thing really went off the rails, which we it's love. It's just become a bit at this <laughs> yeah. point. Like, and, and <laughs> so every, every, everything that comes after it, like special teams really that happens with the Rams, I'm, I'm convinced is just in part to like continue this bit and keep it going. Yeah, we love a good bit. This is LA after all. If you're going to continue the bit, you got to commit to the bit. And the Rams exactly. have certainly committed to the bit. Um, but this is one of my fondest, although it is chaotic on the Rams side, it is one of my fondest long running inside jokes with the listeners of 11 personnel who will also by the way comment on stories comment on tweets post on reddit um the phrase abtac which then draws some confusion sometimes from people who are just passing through just visiting and and wonder what it means which is always also funny anyway we are always talking we are always talking about special teams with this group and right now we definitely are after two missed field goals and an ex- a missed extra points in Sunday's seven point loss, seven point loss uh, to the Pittsburgh Steelers and um, Brett Maher, um, who missed a 51 and a 53 yarder, as well as the extra point was cut by the Rams on Tuesday morning. The Rams then signed Lucas Havrisic, um, who was on the Browns practice squad. Stu, I'm going to throw it to you here because you've talked to Lucas. Um who did not kick Wednesday in practice. We might get to see him kick uh, today is Thursday. We might get to see him kick today and, and Friday. 
Um, this is a fluid and evolving situation. The Rams are continuing to work out kickers. They're also potentially going to add someone to the practice squad. This situation is fluid, but first and foremost, you met Lucas, you talked to Lucas. What are your impressions of him? Very young kicker. Obviously, he also came highly recommended by some people the Rams know. Yeah, I, I think the first impression is just how like energetic he is, honestly, and and just kind of the the vibe he has. It reminds me a lot of uh, Jeremy Springer, the Rams assistant special teams coach, which coincidentally overlapped with him in three of the five seasons that Lucas was at at the University of Arizona. And one of the interesting things that Lucas actually said yesterday was that Jeremy was probably the special teams coach that he spent the most time with when he was at Arizona. And so, you know, on the surface level, there's already that familiarity, but it, it goes, I guess, just to it reinforces that maybe it's a little bit deeper than just like, oh, well, you know, he he coached him in college or whatever. And so um, and I think the other thing that's um, you know really neat about him, too, is that he is a Riverside native. And so his family was super excited that, you know, this was the next stop in his journey, which he had been very transparent with them about like, hey, look, this is how it works. And, you know, it sounded like he had explained to them, like, look, you know, there may be workouts and like this is kind of how the circuit works and things like that. And so uh, it, it that was also a really cool thing. But to get back to the point of uh, what you had initially brought up as far as him coming highly recommended, it's almost full circle to the Matt Gay experience where Matt himself actually gave some uh, really positive feedback, it sounds like, on you know, Lucas and their time together in Indianapolis because they overlapped there uh, this offseason. And so, you know, Johnny Hecker and Jake McQuaid are the ones to come to Sean McVay and recommend Matt Gay. And obviously that worked out really well for the Rams. And now you've got Matt, you know, doing the Rams a solid and saying like, yeah, this, you know, this kid is is solid. And so um, going to be interesting because like you said, uh, you know, McVay confirmed the other day that there's they're working, they've worked out some kickers. And so Still to know exactly if it's going to be Lucas who effectively replaces Brett, or if it's going to be, you know, somebody if they end up signing someone on the that they've worked that they work out onto the practice squad or however that works. But um, really, really uh, interesting dude seems really happy to be here, and so um, you know, this is his first chance on a fifty-three man roster too, on an active roster. That's the other thing you have to understand. Like he's to this point, he's had basically. An offseason with the Colts, time on their practice squad, time on the Browns practice squad. And so, uh, you know, a really big opportunity for him that obviously we'll see how it pans out here over the next few days. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, you got to see him kick, right? They have to see him kick in practice. This is not this is a, a situation where Jeremy Springer has certainly seen him kick in the college setting. But one of the most important things about a full and true evaluation of a kicker is seeing how they are kicking, how the ball's coming off their foot, what it sounds like, uh, which is wild because this is, again, this is a billion dollar industry. And that's one of the most important um, evaluations of punters and kickers uh, is how it sounds, the ball sounds coming off their foot, which is actually when, when I talked to Chase Blackburn um, several months ago about Ethan Evans. That was one of the the big things is it sounds like so pure. The ball sounds so pure coming off of Ethan Evans's foot, which then I heard in training camp. I, I didn't know what he was talking about. Right. And then you hear it in training camp and you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's different than anything else I've ever heard. Um, and and so but but it's 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 the in-person stuff. That's why part of the reason why they had such a hard time this last kicker carousel 
to get to Matt Gay was the COVID year. And when they brought in Sam Sloman, they had not worked him out in person. And there was a lot of things, including uh, the vertical height off of his foot that you couldn't really see on tape that they um, had had really tough, learned really tough lessons about and really couldn't um, get evaluations on kickers until they actually got them in their building. So that's, if Lucas doesn't stick, it's it's because they saw, heard, something through actual reps and workout and, and practices. Now you can obviously work out players, which is a, a lot more helpful versus um, 2020 when they were dealing with this the first time um, or, and into, you know, into that, that season. Um, now you can bring in guys for workouts, but um, it, it's going to be interesting. You know, y- you hope for him as a, as a young person that this is, this is it. This is the the place. Um, you hope for the Rams, obviously, that that this is it, that this is like, okay, this carousel stops spinning. But I also want to bring up a point, and I wrote about this in, in my column. It's uh, my weekly column is out this morning, usually runs Thursdays. I did a deep dive into there's a contrast and a contradictory nature between the decisions that Sean McVay is making on fourth down, particularly fourth and five or less yards to gain, um, inclusive to inside the opponent's 45, um, that completely contradicts what they have all, including Sean, by the way, have all outlined as their team building model at this position specifically. And what I mean by that is he is the the Rams are going for it on fourth down uh, in the lower third of the league or um, in the lower third of the league, despite having a really positive second highest conversion rate in the league on fourth down. Um, they're not going for it. it. Particularly, the Rams rank last in the league and going for it um, in four on fourth down and three or less yards to gain within the opponent's 45 yard line. Now that's okay. If you have an elite kicker, you can probably count on getting points, but they have all established this year. They've, they've outlined, including Sean, again, he's a part of this. He's a part of personnel decisions that they are not going to pay a kicker cannot and will not. They said this with Matt Gay. They said this in a combination of kind of the age being a concern with Greg Zerline, um, they they are not going to pay a kicker the way that their roster is currently set up. So using that logic, you cannot be making those types of conservative fourth down decisions where you're putting your kicker who is not a proven elite kicker who can hit the long kicks. You're not putting him in uh, you're, you're if you're putting him in those situations and not instead um, being more aggressive with that type of decision making to shorten down and distance for the field goal, for for example, or to go for touchdowns instead of instead of field goals, um, it contradicts with the logic that they that they all collectively have outlined with their team build. And I'm just going to read because I re- write better than I talk, and I'm just going to start rambling if I if I talk about this. I'm going to read the excerpt from my column. Um, I hope you guys go subscribe to The Athletic. If you're just podcast listeners, we also love you. But I'm going to read this excerpt because I can write better than I talk. Okay. A study by Ben Baldwin, who this is an excerpt from my Thursday morning column. A study by Ben Baldwin, who builds studies and shares NFL analytics models, found that McVay and the Rams have lost the fourth highest amount of total win probability per game this season by kicking or punting in go, what the model perceives as necessary conversion attempts on fourth down, scenarios. The results Baldwin's model finds are not dependent on whether a field goal is made or missed, but specifically on the decision itself. So 
Sunday, obviously, we know the Rams were in three medium go scenarios, and that was a missed field goal and two punts. Um, the Rams actually have an excellent overall fourth down conversion rate of 75%. This ranks second in the NFL. However, they have only gone for it on fourth down eight times, which is 18th in the league, and have faced fourth down with less than five yards to gain 25 times, which is fifth most. They have a decision EPA of minus 0.05 on fourth down plays, which is third worst in the NFL. Again, also ignoring the result of the play, focusing on decision and process. Further, according to True Media, no team has opted to kick field goals on a higher percentage of its fourth down plays with three yards or fewer to go and inside the opponent's 45-yard line than the Rams since Sean McVay's first season in 2017. They are at a 58.3% rate there, and the NFL average is 42.7. So based on all of that, we know that the kicking position is actually really important to the Rams from a coaching perspective. But from a roster building perspective, where, to be clear, Sean McVay also has input, it is not. Um, limited finances are the reason why the Rams did not extend Matt Gay, who now draws the second highest annual paycheck among NFL kickers from the Colts, and then also Greg Zerline, who makes the 16th most at $2.6 million per year. But that's still more than the Rams have been looking to pay. So for me, it's simple math. You don't want to pay an elite kicker fine, then you have to make more aggressive, like obviously within reasons too, right? (laughs) To make more aggressive within reason decisions on the fourth downs that would otherwise lead to 50 yards plus kicks for non-elite kickers who are not costing you money. But if you want to be the kick it guy in go situations, you have to probably pay an elite kicker. What was interesting still, and I'm curious your thoughts on on what Sean said in his press conference when I asked him about this economics, the contradictory economics or kickernomics specifically. Um, Sean said, that is an exact conversation that I've had with myself and with other members of the staff as we move forward. I thought that was really, um, I, I was not expecting him to be so open about the fact that they, the, everything I just outlined, they have talked about. Exactly. In terms of the contradictory logic that's happening with those fourth down kick or not kick situations. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, and I think that that is reinforced by like also another comment he made where, you know, when he was talking about why things didn't work out with Brett, where, you know, he said, look, basically that the and I'm paraphrasing just to be abundantly clear that like it wasn't exclusively on Brett, like as a play caller, he also put himself 
he also put Brett in, he also felt like he put Brett in situations mm-hmm. where kind of like you said, it, you know, maybe wasn't, you know, super ideal for him as far as having to kick some of those, those longer attempts because all six of Brett's misses were from 40 plus yards. And so, you know, to, it, I imagine that in part though, that ties into, again, like, like I was saying with what McVay was talking about as far as like, you know, that, and what you outlined with some of those fourth down decisions where, you know, if you do decide to be conservative, well, now you're going to be putting, depending on where that I, I guess that fourth down is, obviously, you're going to be putting a kicker who, again, who, whose misses are are from the longer distances, um, you know, in, not in the best position to succeed at times. And so, uh, yeah, that transparency, I agree with you, was was very interesting because, uh, you know, I think for the most part, um, you know, there are times, you know, we do get that from from Sean you know, when we talk to him uh, each week, but that in particular was, was really interesting to hear. Yeah. And it, it squares too with what, again, they all, they all have are making these personnel decisions together. So when they decide that they're going to overhaul certain parts of their roster, including special teams to go extremely cheap in that phase, Sean McVay is also a part of that decision. And so my understanding of all of it is like, this is, this was already, hey, you're going to, so the offense is going to be the rising tide that lifts all boats, right? Okay, so you're going to be aggressive. And you saw that in certain spurts. Like they have had a really high success rate when they have gone for it on fourth down. Like you've seen it. You see they have a menu of plays to choose from. It's just that they, I think, and again, like I'm I'm a big fan of analytics, but I also like most people who actually have an understanding of analytics believe they are a tool, a piece of information to add to a bunch of other information you're also getting about, you know, being present in that moment where you're making the decision. And I'm a big fan of as much as I love kickers and talking about kicking, as as we know, um, I I'm a big fan of aggressive decision making, especially when you have an offense that has historically shown it's capable of of making those plays and, and moving the ball in that way. I I'm a big fan of of that, particularly in that like no man's land, kind of in the middle of the field. Um, I think su- somewhat surprisingly, and I mean no uh, offense to the defense, especially the young players who are learning, you've actually seen they've had an ability to force three and outs. Um, the third and longs against like the Eagles, and then there was one third and long against the Steelers. Those were prob- problematic, obviously. But you've also seen a defense that actually it it can sort of um you know buckle down when when it needs to um and and I think I more so than I think what people expected this this season so far um and so I think you know when you are coming out here and saying like hey this offense is going to lift everyone else including you have to include special teams in that um and and that and they did and so that's why the logic that he was not going for it in those very clear. Some of those are very clear go situations. Now I'm not saying it's always the right decision to go for it on fourth down. I'm just saying some of those were very clear go situations, particularly with the person, the the limited personnel that they had at kicker who had, he had not proven. I mean, in his career, he's made lots of field goals, but with the Rams, his body of data did not show that he was a consistent kicker outside of that that parameter that you just illustrated, Stu. And so it, it's like you can't you can't say one thing and then do another and then expect it to work out in football. The margins are too small. Um, and I think that if you're saying for sure that your offense is going to be the thing that 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 lifts you, 
and you you're committed to that and you as an organization are committed to this roster build and this type of team build that they have been that they have structurally put into place you've got to continue making those more aggressive decisions you've got to do what it was that you know the plan would indicate would be the decision making process because of the structure that has been put into place and agreed upon by everybody from the coaching staff to the front office. I mean, this is a collective decision. This isn't dissonance between one phase or another. Like this is a collective decision. It's just, um, I think situationally, and then in some of these tighter games, I think we have seen tendencies for from Sean to be more conservative. And I think we've seen him sort of turtle back down into those tendencies um, in some of these tighter games. And I think part of that, and, and not to overly psychoanalyze, although we know that I love to do that here, but um, like, I think part of that too can come from that feeling that you're that close to being really good. You know, that feeling like, oh, we have so much potential. Don't mess anything up. And then you freeze, <laughs> you know? And I think that one thing that I've talked about on here and Stu, we've talked about in person as well is, um, you see on the other side, that a defense that's just kind of like trying shit, you know, like it's just kind of playing free and, yeah, they're making mistakes. They are. And and it's not excusing, especially what happened in the fourth quarter. Although those calls that the PI call was was terrible, um, needs to be reviewable. Um, the um the the spot was terrible, needs to be reviewable in that situation. It, and it was if he had a timeout, but the league automatically should should be able to to look at something like that as well. Um and I think that you know, this defense, it, it will make mistakes. It has make, made mistakes, um, but it's playing loose, not not loose in the sense that it's uh, sloppy. It has been sometimes, but loose in the sense that you go out and you watch them play. They're confident. They're energetic. They feel aggressive. They're playing tighter everywhere. Um, they're trying all kinds of different stuff that the pressures that Raheem Morris and Eric Henderson are designing are different than anything we've seen here before. Um, the coverage structures are are much more aggressive than we saw the last over the last year, and it is interesting because they are a young group, and it's basically like, okay, well, it was expected that you were going to bu- bump along the way and, and make mistakes, and they will, they have, and they will. Um, but I wonder what sort of grace the offense has gotten, understanding that it was the one, the side of the ball. Um, with the expectations placed upon it, not by anyone on the outside, by the way, because everyone thought this team would be ass. But on the on the inside, this was the offense was supposed to be what carried everything else. And I almost wonder if you sit there and you think about that and you really look like they always say, look inward and say, like, I asked Matthew Stafford about this, about the adjustments and whether he feels that coaches to players they are doing enough in game to adjust or able to adjust at a level that is productive. And he was really thoughtful. And he basically said, like, we have the play menu. Like, I believe we have enough plays. We just need to get to those plays. Like we have enough plays and we can do it. And, and so it's like, okay, well go out and be free, you know, go out and and loosen up a little bit and, and do the things that, that feel like, you know, you, you give, gives you a chance to succeed because they, they do have the menu possible. I mean, hell they pulled Daryl Henderson out of not playing football for months and months and months off the street. 
and he fits right back in seamlessly on Sunday. They pull Royce Freeman up off of practice squad, and he fits in seamlessly. Their starting running backs are out. They're running the ball effectively. Um, they've got this rookie phenom, Puka Nakua, a Cooper Cup game like that's an outlier for the negative. He's not going to have a bad game like that again, I don't think. Tutu Atwell needs to get fed because when he gets his chance, Tutu Atwell is eating. Um, and, and I just think like there's, there's all this potential and it, it almost feels like they're too tight in a way. And, and I just think like that perhaps could be a part of expectations. And frankly, I, I won't go, I'll go so far as to say, I think making, you saw it with the Dan Campbell lion teams, making decisions like that, the sort of like, um, F you decisions. And we won't say what Stafford called them, but it, it's a positive thing. Um, Stu and I both over, overheard this. Um, it's a positive thing, um, but we won't repeat that here. Um, but it is, it is a, it's something that a team carry, it takes on and a, a feeling that they take on. It's not a Chargers thing where it's a, uh, un, in, incongruent or un, un, uh, just inconsistent identity. It's not that. It could be something else. It could be something that um, when you pick your spots and you're leaving the ball in the hands of the offense that you said was going to carry the team and you believed would carry the team in certain situations that don't set up kickers who can't kick at an elite level because they are not, they shouldn't be expected to at, in the category or the tier that they're in. You're not leaving it up to them to do things that are impossible for their, their ability. Um, and instead you're saying, I'm going to leave it up to me and to my offense um, a team carries that identity a little bit. They take on a little bit of that, um, that like, screw you, we're, we're doing this kind of a thing. And I think that that's, um, I don't know. I, I wonder if we'll see more of that moving forward, frankly. Yeah, I was just going to say, Jordan, I'm, I'm curious what, um, you know, the signing of Lucas especially means for those for, for those go situations. Um, you know, if they face them where some of those long range attempts come up because, excuse me. At Arizona, Lucas was known as a long-range specialist, something I read. like This, this was a story that uh, Joel Erickson of the Indianapolis Star wrote when uh, Lucas w- had joined the Colts. And so, like, basically, he took all the longer attempts, and then he had a teammate who handled the, the shorter tries. And so... Mm, interesting. Yeah. So, if you're, trying to, if you're trying to correct and make up for, you know, the, those issues with those longer attempts, and you have someone who has, who you believe has the leg to make them, again kicker situation still unresolved we still don't know yet if it's going to be lucas or somebody else who ends up being that replacement just to reiterate but um i wonder what effect if at all that has on um like i said those go those go situations where you know if again if you've got the guy with the leg strength does sean mm-hmm. feel more comfortable you like you know what just you know just send him out there or you know whoever it may be instead or you know if if you have that assurance are you do you do you veer back toward being more aggressive in those go situations, knowing that okay, if there is really a time where we you know you want to you want to go to you know the kicker instead, then then you have that maybe as a safeguard. But um, I don't know. I just I just found that interesting because again, who knows who it ends up being? But if if it does end up being Lucas, that's kind of an interesting dynamic at play. That I wonder how it will potentially affect the play calling in those specific scenarios. Yeah, I agree with you. I think what I think is a ideal situation is not being too um, over, not overcorrecting too far on either side. Like I think probably a best case scenario is a combination of both, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
You are more aggressive when the situation dictates it. Because again, they're leaving win probability on the table. They're losing win probability because of specifically the decisions, not the misses, not the kicker who's kicking. Specifically, the decision is losing them win probability. And then on the other side, I think that having a kicker who can make those long range kicks and get you out of a a jam is also valuable Um, within the confines of they're not going to pay this guy. So you have to find that window of existence and compromise between, okay, you're not going to put the kicker in impossible situations or situations that vastly overestimate his ability based on the tier he's in and the pay structure we're going to have enough menu uh, and ability on fourth downs and the wherewithal and the aggressiveness to do those things, to not be in that gray area and those no, that no man's land situation um, and to go when the situation is leaning overwhelmingly toward a go so that you're not, again, losing win probability just based on a decision, but also um, knowing when to pick those spots, understanding when to pick those spots, but also um, blending that with, okay, but if you can't, your kicker can make those, those long range. It's not, it's not automatic necessarily because that would again, require a higher tier of kicker, which means you're probably paying more than this team wants to pay. Um, But at the same time, that compromise I think is, is going to be, they, they really did. um, They found, I think a sweet spot with Matt Gay um, where, you know, there was still, there was every once in a while, still some questionable punting decisions and whatnot with, with that. But if you knew, I mean, Matt, you knew Matt Gay was going to be pretty much automatic from a certain range, which changes your pay, play calling. It changes the types of, of things you do. Now you can't just lean into that too much when you don't have that kicker. Um, so again, it's, it's all about finding that balance and that compromise. And I'm curious to see how it will shake out and unfold. Um, Stu, the Rams are in Dallas uh, this weekend, again, facing a, a dominant um, pass rushing group. They've struggled against dominant pass rushing groups um, in terms of their pass protection. They've still run the ball well against dominant defensive groups, dominant pass rushing groups. Um, really going to be interested to me. That's that's going to be a key. I'm really interested in, in that. Um, Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn, that's going to be really interesting. Those two go way back. Sean McVay, Dan Quinn, those guys go way back. Um, but Stu, one or two overarching thoughts before I let you out of here, either about last week, something you noticed, or about the coming Sunday matchup. I'll go with something about the coming Sunday matchup. The the thing that struck me, just at least catching what I was able to uh, catch or watch uh, from the end of uh, the Cowboys' last game against the the Chargers was just the at least in the fourth quarter or second half the the complimentary effort they were able to put forth and and what i mean by that is basically i mean even if it may, maybe necessarily didn't look that like that the entire game the fact that their offense was able to put their special teams in position to kick the go ahead field goal and then the defense was able to come through with the game uh, ceiling interception by Stefan Gilmore like no matter you know what team you do you do that against like that's something that to me is a is a confidence building thing and it's also something that you know again that you know that McVeigh has talked about as far as like looking for you know those complementary performances um you know especially in, in the second half in in some of the losses the rams have had this season and so 
that's something that's kind of on my mind, you know, just wondering what impact and effect that might potentially have for the Cowboys as far as their confidence, in addition to obviously being well-rested coming off their bye week and playing at home. And so it's, I guess that's kind of the contrast on my mind right now as Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, thinking about this game as far as like, you know, again, the Cowboys and sort of the complimentary effort they were able to put together and how the Rams, you know, as, as you written about and as you know sean and all the other coaches and players have talked about um you know with in contrast with you know the complimentary effort that the rams have really been trying to seek you know in those some of those close losses they've had yeah it's a good point and then also your point reminded me two weeks in a row teams coming off their bye uh to play the rams they're going to be prepared they're going to be well rested they're healthy um, I saw that injury report. I don't think I've seen an injury report like that in a really long time. It was a very clean injury report for. I had to squint when I saw it was just one name. Yeah, on the side of the Cowboys, the Rams are actually overall pretty healthy. I mean, relatively speaking, and everyone's got bumps and bruises. The guys on the injury report are not expected to be affected um, in terms of their game status. Guys, we're gonna continue to to update you on every breathless moment of this kicker carousel. Um, but also, you know, the, the team as a whole. We haven't forgotten about them either. <laughs> um, Rams, I think, um, are are really looking at this as um quite a challenge as they should. Dallas is capable of um uh, of really kind of making a run of it, I think, and everyone expected them to be competitive contention favorites uh, a couple of bumps along the way but still a very very good football team um really i'm really interested to see what will happen um how this will all unfold and we're going to catch you guys next week but uh before we leave you make sure you're writing down everywhere you could find Stu jackson's work over at the rams.com find him on x formerly twitter uh, find him on threads, uh, find him on Instagram, find him anywhere, find him uh, in, in your local coffee shop and say hello. <laughs> um, meanwhile, uh, you guys can find me over at theathletic.com. Please read that column, had some fun insight as well from Mike McCarthy, who instead of an anonymous guest on Noseball Anonymous, uh, right out there in the open, uh, talking about some interesting parallels between Micah Parsons and Aaron Donald that I hope you guys enjoy. Um, meanwhile, I hope you guys are staying caffeinated Hope you're staying hydrated. Hope you're taking care of each other. Hoping you're taking care of yourselves. And we'll catch you next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.